welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, human recommendation algorithm, Andy Bowman, and with me are my co-hosts, mistress of plant life, Tessa Suela. Hello. And Dr. Strange's assistant, Dr. Sam Morris. Hello. This week, Sam is still curious about what all those condiments are, Tessa visits the arcade, and I watch what I will reductively label Japanese Shaun of the Dead. All right, Sam. You did a, uh, a director, one Mr. Wong Kar Wai. Wong Kar Wai, did you watch this? <laughs> you got Sam laughing. Ugh. So Wong Kar Wai, the man in sunglasses, is a director. He was born in Shanghai, uh, emigrated to Hong Kong. So classified as a Hong Kong director, if those things matter at all. They matter to the government of China, apparently. Yeah, yeah. He is a winner of the Best Director Award at the Cannes Film Festival. He has been nominated for uh, a handful of Oscars, I believe, at this point. One. The 1995 Hong Kong Film Award, kind of a big deal. And so I first heard about this particular director back about 15 years ago. BBC presenter Jonathan Ross did a three-part documentary series on Asian cinema called, rather unfortunately, Asian Invasion. Somebody's uploaded all three eps to YouTube, but basically it's a you know, person who sees himself as a bit of an Asian cinephile doing the greatest hits of Japanese, Hong Kong, and Korean film. And I learned a lot just wanting to know more about it. This seemed like a good entry point. Wong Kar Wai, Chan Wook Park were the two directors that I really, I had a huge list of movies I wanted to see, but those two directors were the ones I wanted to get into. I did. And I like them both. I mean, Wong Kar Wai is much more my jam, a little bit more low-key than Chan Wook Park. It's uh, Park Chan Wook, by the way. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know uh, Korean name structure, if it's uh, last name, first name, or first name, last name. So when I watched the documentary, obviously, you can tell by me referring to him as Chan Wook Park and Wong Kar Wai instead of Kar Wai Wong, you know, that was, that was kind of the way that I was introduced to it, um, you know. We do, we do fun things with each other's names. My, my name had more syllables for an entire year. It's, it's, it's a good time. But yeah. What, here, here's just an interesting tidbit here. One of my favorite uh, YouTube list creators, they go by the name Cinefix. Uh, they are now IGN Cinema and te- Television because they've been bought by IGN, but they still make the best top 10 lists. Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love and Wong Kar Wai's Chungking Express are repeatedly on their films with either the most beautiful film uh, lists or the best endings, the best romances. You know, they are, they are on their top 10 lists. So I recommend that people check those lists out. Uh, they will give a good explanation for why Wong Kar Wai should be observed in general and Stoked my interest in him. I haven't watched any of the movies yet because I'm a terrible person with a massive backlog. But which films did you watch? Because you just gave me the director's name and not the films of the the director that you watched. So which ones? So Tessa, who had never seen any of his films, and I recently watched four. We watched In the Mood for Love, its sequel, 2046, Chungking Express, and its companion film, Fallen Angels. The last two are the ones that I had not seen previously, so those are my monkeys for the week. Okay. Chungking Express and Fallen Angels. These are, of course, recently from the Criterion Collection, just after they decided to start honoring directors of color. Well, what did you like about them? What did you hate about them? What did you despise about them? And also, who was the best actor why were they the best actor? And what are the new lottery numbers for this week? So, uh, by the way, the, the, uh, I don't have the full list of lottery numbers 
But uh, the pick six number is, in fact, 663. Six, six, three. All right. Is that, that's a, that's a real Wong Kar Wai fans moment. (laughs) (laughs) The massive circle of podcast listeners and Wong Kar Wai fans. We, we have a good time. So Chungking Express is, um, it's the film that won the 1995 Hong Kong Film Award. Quentin Tarantino said to the then head of Miramax, whose name we do not speak, to acquire this film, which he did. That gave it the worldwide distribution. This is what brought uh, this director to more of a global audience. The film itself was made during the production of another film, Ashes of Time, which is a more of an epic. And there was kind of a lull with some things getting done. So he had this brainstorm, wrote this movie, and made it. And it came out before the movie he was making, Ashes of Time, before Ashes of Time came out. It's, it's fun. It's, it's two stories. It's almost like an anthology. It's one, one story short of an anthology film. It's divided into two parts. The first part is about a, a, a cop, Awu, and he has been dumped by his girlfriend. And he is eating a can of pineapples because that was her favorite fruit, right? Uh, a can of pineapples every day for a month. And so while he's doing all of this, he runs into uh, May, who is an assassin, and they have a little moment. And the, the film transitions in a very clever way to the second part where a, a, another character, a cop who is unnamed, played by Tony Leung. Takashi Kaneshiro plays the, the first cop. Uh, Tony Leung plays the second one. He, is, he meets this girl named Faye, played by Faye Wong. And she ends up becoming a flight attendant, which is super fun because he broke up or was dumped by a flight attendant. It's these kind of really interesting circular stories. So um, I, I basically told you the plot of the movie, but I've told you almost nothing about the movie itself. Fallen Angels is the same way. It's a story broken in two. The first one is about a hitman and his agent. And then so the second an one. an assassin and. Yeah. There's a theme here. Maybe Wong Kar Wai wants to, uh, to explore some themes about hitmen. And... Wait, what is the difference between a hitman and an assassin? That's, that's an e- excellent question. But hold on, because the second part of Fallen Angels involves a escapee from justice, let's say, who makes his living by running other people's businesses at night. And he says it in that way. And you're like, wait a minute. You are breaking into people's places, pretending that you own it, running it, and then bullying people into buying your goods or services. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? All right. I, okay. Okay. My immediate picture, for some reason, is someone breaking into a mini golf course, setting up all the, like, the mini golf things, and then forcing people who are like walking by, hey, hey, you want to play some I mean, mini golf? Okay. If you replace mini golf with laundry. You got it. That's it. <laughs> and so I, I think my favorite part of this gag is that the same person keeps accidentally entering the businesses. <laughs> like he's like forcing people and it, it happens like three <laughs> times. And the person in the end is like, not you. And like tries to run away, but he gets like pulled back in by the, by the, the other dude. It's, it's a pretty fun bit for what's honestly kind of a lackluster sequel. <laughs> So uh, Takashi Kaneshiro is is back in Fallen Angels. He's the the only of the four who's a repeat across both movies. Uh, Lai Ming, Michelle Race, and uh, Charlie Lung are in Fallen Angels as well. But that's that's it. Again, I told you the plot of that movie. I haven't really told you much about the movie itself. That that's actually fine. It sounds like a a very difficult movie to be like accurately like. Okay, these are the plot beats. Uh, I've always heard that in the mood for love is a mood, and I'm assuming that Wong Kar Wai in general uh, does that. He's just a thing you watch and experience. So yeah, that's true. All of all of his movies are a mood. Uh, the thing about the reason why I say Chunking Express is one story short of an anthology is 
that uh, the first part of Fallen Angels, the hitman or assassin, if you will, and his agent was originally part of Chungking Express. And that story was excised and then added on to uh, this, this second more bizarre part of Fallen Angels to become its own film. And, and that's interesting if you think about it that way. We watched both together, kind of saw the whole thing, which is how he prefers you watch them. But yeah, it's it's a mood. It's 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 you know, it's kind of like classical music, right? It's a it's a meditation in four parts about a theme. And so, I can tell you the entire plots of the movie and it doesn't matter because it's really about experiencing that theme about love, connectivity, closeness, isolation, you know, all that good stuff that we really like to talk about, especially in the 90s where we were somehow the most in touch with our feelings and the least able to talk about it. Good times. Okay, so on your ranking of, of film lists, and uh, I'm just going to call, uh, have this uh, be rated between uh, of the lower Wong Kar, why did you watch this? And the higher Akira Kurosawa, watch this now. I'm so sorry. Wow. I am so sorry. Uh, seriously though, uh, you've watched a lot of Wong Kar Wai films, much more than I have. Where do these fit, and uh, what one should I start with? Okay, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I think, and and then Tessa needs to tell me why I'm wrong. Wong Kar, why I'm wrong? I can play your game. So he has made at this point ten films, feature films, that have been released. And I have not seen Days of Being Wild, Ashes of Time, Happy Together, or his most recent, The Grand Master. So of the six I have seen, number six is 2046. It, it didn't do a lot for me. See, Tess is already shaking her head, but that's okay. Number five. Dun, dun, dun. Here, is, here is the controversial choice. Number five is My Blueberry Nights. His English language debut starring Jude Law, Rachel Weisz, and a young film ingenue making her debut appearance, Come Away With Me herself, Nora Jones. It is, it is not a well-received movie, but it goes back to that idea of mood. And I like the mood. I saw it a long time ago. I saw it when it came out. I recall liking it better than I liked 2046 upon the rewatch. After that, at number four is Fallen Angels. I almost put Blueberry Nights ahead of it. Fallen Angels just doesn't work as well for me. Like I said, if we had ported that one over to Chungking Express, uh, the, the, that latter wacky part of the film maybe could have been its own movie, to be perfectly honest. After that comes Chungking Express at number three. A better part of the meditation on the theme. I, I mean, it's number three, but I really like the movie. The, the two that I like better are In the Mood for Love and my favorite still, and I can't wait till Tessa rewatches it, is As Tears Go By. There is, and Tessa doesn't know what it is yet, but people talk about needle drops all the time. And I'm specifically not saying what the needle drop is right now. If you've seen it, you know. It was on it, the list of top 10 needle drops from Cinefax. It is the best needle drop of all time. End of story. Bar none. It, I, ooh, I still remember as somebody who has a terrible memory and has repressed almost everything that's happened in their life, I viscerally remember this needle drop. It is perfect. You will never see a better one than it. I have used it in film class because not only does it establish the mood of what's going on in that scene, not only does it perfectly encapture the, the essence of the film, it also is a reference to, weirdly, another film and another scene in which almost the same needle drop happens. And so I, I taught that original film in a film class, and then I said, now... Here's the power of soundtracking and showed them Wong Kar Wai's needle drop from As Tears Go By. And it just destroys you. Ah, it's great. That's that's all time film moment right there. I do have a quick question before we before we move on with this. How, how do. He, OK. Blah. 
I do have a quick question before we move on with this, especially since you brought up the idea of needle drops. All of these films have a lot of really, really interesting things with music. How would you describe that to somebody who's maybe interested in soundtrack as part of their mood cinema experience? In the second half of Chungking Express, there is a really great scene where you have an example of that thing where a character pushes play on a music device. The song that plays is diegetic. It's it's happening in the events of the film. And then the camera cuts to the next shot and the song becomes non-diegetic where, you know, we're the ones primarily hearing it. And so that's a really good example. The song is California Dreamin' by the Mamas and the Papas. And if you've ever said to yourself, could a movie needle drop a song a dozen, 15 times or so and not lose its emotional affect? The answer is yes, but I don't know who else could do it other than Wong Kar Wai. Uh, uh, I believe J.J. Abrams in a, uh, a Lost uh was able to do it. Uh, uh, okay. Um, all right. But the interesting thing about it is, is like, I immediately oh. think of like, wait, Groundhog Day done. Ha! I, as I was saying, <laughs> I tend to immediately think of Groundhog Day for an example <laughs> like this, but it's not, it's, it's a gag. I mean, yeah, there is emotional affect there, but it's a, it's a joke. Whereas like, this is a character in Chungking Express who just really loves this song and wants to keep playing it all the time. She uses it to drown out the rest of the world. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a bit, it's just a thing. But yeah, it's, it's really great. Um, okay, Tessa, why am I wrong about the ones you've actually seen? Like, you haven't seen, uh, uh, you haven't seen As Tears Go By or My Blueberry Nights, but tell us. Uh, yeah, so the ones that I've seen, here, here's my definitive ranking of the four Wong Kar Wai films that I have actually seen. So at the bottom, I would actually put Fallen Angels, much for the same reason that you did, Sam. I think that this film has some really, really great elements to it, but it really suffers from being on its own. I think it would have made more sense as being part of Chung King Express. I would have rather that movie been a whole half hour to 40 minutes longer and included this particular story. I I don't think that stretched out into a full two-hour film does it any favors. So automatically I'm putting Fallen Angels under 2046, which is what you had at the bottom of your list. But 2046 is next. I don't think it's as good as the other two. But I think what saves it is sort of the imaginary future, the speculative future that this writer is is creating. Honestly, I would rather play an, a video game that is set in the future of Wong Kar Wai's 2046 than I would play Cyberpunk 2077 again. So that's that's just my opinion on that. But the other two, which I love, which I loved all of these movies, let me be very clear, but the top two are definitely Chungking Express, which is number two, and In the Mood for Love, which is just a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, like, it, I, I don't understand how a film can have so much emotion with so little dialogue in it. It is such a good film. But yeah, Chungking Express, I would rate over... Fallen Angels, for sure. If you were going to start with a film, Andy, though, I would definitely start with In the Mood for Love, especially because 2046, which you've mentioned previously, is actually a sequel to In the Mood for Love. So real quick, I, I would say you got to start at the beginning. Don't start with either one of these films. Start with <laughs> As Tears Go By. I almost wrote down, same will say, start at the first movie. And 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 that's only because I that's only because I really think it's a good place to start, especially if you have some familiarity with uh say like a John Woo or some kind of Hong Kong action, because that one kind of veers more toward that while establishing that that mood that really dominates a lot of his other films. It also works in reverse though. You know, if you start within the mood for love or Chungking Express and then go back and watch it, you're like, wow. He had that right away, even when it was kind of a hybrid with another genre. Overall, you recommend this Mr. Wong Kar Wai. Oh, yeah. Um, Wong Kar Wai is 
is excellent. I cannot wait to watch As Tears Go By again and watch it with Tessa. Um, I cannot wait for his next endeavor, his, his television series, which may or may not be a continuation of In the Mood for Love and 2046. By the way, I'm going to make a, an oddball recommendation because I kept thinking about it the entire time. I was thinking about this kind of romantic tension set in the past that In the Mood for Love is. I would consider pairing that film with Ang Lee's controversial Lust Caution. Okay. And that, that might be a better pairing than yes. In the Mood for Love in 2046. Uh, and remember, listeners, if you are under 17, you are not allowed to watch Lust Caution because it is an NC-17 movie. It's got some good stuff. Uh, Tessa reminds me that if you are going to watch 2046 or really any any of his movies at this point, um, Criterion just did a, uh, or Criterion released an excellent restoration of most of the films that I have talked about today. 2046, if you look at it on Amazon Prime, is shadow boxed. Don't, don't go from them. Don't go with them. Check out the Criterion um, remasters either through their app streaming service or, you know, if you still buy discs, do that. It wouldn't be a waste of money. All right. Uh, for the quick discussion question here, I, I want to extend to all of our listeners, each and every one of you, First of all, thanks for listening. It's it's wonderful to get the millions and millions of views and listens every week. Second, we need ideas for themed episodes, for for things that you want us to hear. I, I have come up with some great things that pretty much all involve punishing Sam in different ways, which is which is great, which is wonderful. But but on a serious note, Andy, why don't you and I'm, I'm sure you're serious about punishing me, but on a serious note, why don't you share with uh, the, the listeners your ideas that will become reality over the next several months? Give them some examples. Uh, a few examples here. Okay. One of them is called Genres We Hate. And what this is, is we have to watch genres that we don't like, that we've gone on record as not enjoying. Now, you might say to yourself, huh, how does this punish Sam? And, and that would be a good question, because I never said I didn't like anime. I just said I didn't want to watch it. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you did. Go to and, the tape. Go to the tape. Oh, I will go to the tape. Uh, go to anyway. the tape. Anyway, I will go to the tape. I, I will go we should to really, the tape. We should really insert the recording of whatever it was that Sam said right here in the episode. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and I probably the... have, I probably have like the raw edited, unedited version where Sam's like, "Oh my god, I can't stand anime. Anime is the worst of all the things. I will never watch an anime. It is not for me. I hate anime." And I'm quoting Sam on that. I think I'm on solid ground here. I I was surprised at how well you edited that that yeah, right Andy. There was so much more cursing in the original. Anyway, uh, basically, uh, I would probably do just like a musical or 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 something else. Uh, maybe an art house film, you know, like like one of those um, just all images films. So um, if you if you've seen The Princess Bride and you know Fred Savage is like, ugh, is this a kissing book? That's pretty much what Andy's going to be working with. Yep, that 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 is, that is exactly right. Uh, so so that is one of my ideas. Another one of my beautiful, wonderful, smart, sophisticated ideas is called Blank Assigns. That's where one of your wonderful hosts or a guest host, ooh, that might be fun, guest host, assigns three things for us to watch for an episode, and we discuss that. Putting our, putting our fates into other people's hands. That sounds like something Sam would love to do. It does. It, it does sound like something that the most controlling person who needs uh, order <laughs> and predictability would love it. Uh, I, so... I say, I say we, we do that one first. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we'll, we'll take like a month 
you know, and get prepared at least a few weeks. But I, I think, I don't know what you guys think, but, you know, Andy, you mentioned a guest. I think we should just um, let somebody call dibs on that one. Like, first one to listen to this episode and call dibs on Twitter gets to assign Deal. the things. What Deal. do you think, Tessa? Sounds great to me. I mean, it worked for Deal. Hannibal, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Call, yeah. call uh, dibs on Twitter. Yep. Call dibs. Um, At Monkey Backlog. Yeah, uh, another another great, uh, wonderful, sophisticated idea of mine is called Where Do I Start? And this is going to be basically you, dear listeners, or Sam, possibly Tessa, although Tessa's much more cultured and understands the right spot to start. And Sam's always going to answer from the beginning, from the first thing that came out, <laughs> the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, actually, no. I don't think Sam would do that. I don't. I, I think Sam would probably put in a lot more thought and effort into the different ways, uh, like the what is it, the machete order of Star Wars, where you watch uh, four and five, and then you jump to two and three. You never watch episode one, and then you watch six. You, you know, I- interesting ways to do it. But by the way, I know of at least one listener, one regular listener of this podcast who refuses to watch any Star Wars because they take pride in the fact that they have never seen Star Wars. So yeah, G- Ginger's weird. That's not what I thought you were going to say, Tessa. I was actually going to say that we 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 possibly rethought our machete order. Uh, we we're we're almost to the point where we're ready to just excise episode two altogether. I've read. A bit that that one is a little bit more essential uh, than than two. I don't I don't know I don't know the next time we're gonna watch the Star Wars series at all. Anyway, there's still a very bad taste left by a certain person. So anyway, I've continued to put a lot of thought into Machete Order, but thank you for accurately recapping that. Yeah, yeah, uh, and also um, another themed or fun episode to do would be called Things Sam Hates. And this is really the fun thing here, is it would be an only Sam episode. I, I Maybe maybe it's like, uh, maybe it's just going to be called Sam's Descent into Madness. And we're not even going to be on here. It's just going to be Sam. And he has to monologue for at least an hour about watching the things that he hates. Um, the best part is, this is nothing new. He's not going to be making progress by eliminating things from his list. He's going to be doing things that he already knows. So so we're going to make him watch Rise of Skywalker 3 times in a row? I I don't know. I that's up to that's up to Sam. That is the choice of Sam, but they have to be things that are already known to be hated entities. So that's another wonderful themed idea. I love this idea for for an episode. I think this is a great idea. Listeners, let us know what you think. Um, yeah, yeah. So those are kind of my ideas for for episodes. Those are my general thoughts. Um, if you two have ideas for episodes, let me know. Well, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more themed episodes in our future. We've talked a little bit about doing more episodes like the MCU episode last week. We talked about doing more episodes like the Kaiju episode that that Andy and I and Ariel did together a few weeks ago. So I, I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that. So definitely you know, tweet at us, email us at uh, monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com on Twitter, at Monkey Backlog, if there's any particular genres, or even, you know, uh, artists, if there's a writer or a producer or a director or a creator that you really just feel like deserves an entire episode for us all to take a look into their work, just let us know. I also really liked your idea, Andy, which you didn't mention just now, but you've mentioned it before off, off mic, where we actually complete each other's monkeys. So you mentioned perhaps you were going to take a crack at Kim's convenience sometimes in, in the near future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I, I didn't want to, you know, uh, get the listeners hyped up over nothing. Anyway, that, that was an idea. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Do you have any, Sam? No, I'm put into a, a mire of despair over the ways in which 
I will be tortured in upcoming episodes of Monkey. But I will say, of course... <laughs> the thing he does for fun. But of course, in about two months, Tessa, what is it going to be time for? Spooktober! Well, and also the Emmys. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we've got plans, guys. We have plans. We will do them. It'll be fun. But we'd also love to hear from you. Yes. What ways can you make this supposedly fun <laughs> release of, 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 of stress? Uh, what ways can you make it either more fun or much less fun for us? I, I, am, I am also, I'm inviting this on myself, by the way. This is not just an attack on Sam. This is not just uh, a make Tessa. Um, oh, 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 okay. Oh, no, no. I, I just had a great idea for that. Anyway, uh, this is not just a, uh, you know, me taking revenge on the hosts for, for perceived slights, for, for, the, <laughs> for, 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 the, for the perceived eye roll in the camera that Tessa made, you know, six months ago when I made a bad pun. This is opening myself for new experiences. And things that I wouldn't normally do. And that's as kind of a, the point of these themes. As a as a a new father, you're not gonna have enough of those. So, you know, new experiences. Oh man. Okay. All right. Tessa. Again, I ask, not knowing the answer already, Pinky Swear, what is a Wreck It Ralph? So Wreck It Ralph was the, or still is, the 52nd full-length animated studio film by Disney Animated Studios. It came out in 2012. We have been, if you've been listening to this podcast at all, you know that Sam and I, one of our big projects that we started last year when the pandemic first started and we all shut down, was we wanted to watch all of the full-length animated Disney films from Snow White all the way through What's the most recent one? Frozen 2? Raya. Raya. Raya came out. That's right. There are more movies now than when we started this. So we have been slowly working our way through. We've been doing one a week. We usually do it Saturday morning with some waffles. It's been great. But a couple weeks ago, we crossed Wreck-It Ralph off the list, and I had never seen Wreck-It Ralph, which is kind of surprising because I have seen most of the animated Disney films, either when I was a child or in the theaters because... I love animated films. So Wreck-It Ralph is one of these films. It's one of the last ones that I hadn't seen. It is a film about a villain of an arcade game. This whole thing takes place inside of an arcade. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph, who is voiced by John C. Riley, is the villain of a game called Fix-It Felix. Fix-It Felix. I don't know why I can't talk today. Uh, he is the villain of a game called Fix-It Felix. Felix is played by Jack McBrayer, who all of you should know the voice from 30 Rock. But Wreck-It Ralph is very, shall we say, unsatisfied with his role as the villain of Fix-It Felix. He is tired of being ostracized by the other characters. And so he decides to go out into some of the other games and try to get a medal. So that way he can be perceived of as a hero back in his own game. And of course, as he is stumbling through all of these different styles of arcade games, he runs across another character who is sort of an outsider, uh, Vanellope, who is played by Sarah Silverman, or is voiced by Sarah Silverman, I should say, uh, who just wants to win a race in her game, which is Sugar Rush. And that is the basic premise of this film. So... Of course, we've watched almost every feature-length Disney animated film up to this point. The only two that we haven't seen are the two that are not available on Disney+. Plus. One is Make Mine Music, and there's another one that is locked so far up into that vault. Um, but unlike those two, there's you could have seen this movie at any time prior to now. Why didn't you originally see this movie in the theater? Well, to be honest with you, 2012 was a very stressful year for me. But also, I just didn't get the premise of this film. I did not grow up going to arcades. I didn't grow up with video games in my house. My parents 
were anti-video game in a lot of ways. So I just didn't, I, I wasn't sure when I, this movie came out that I would understand it. I didn't have the nostalgia for the types of games that they were talking about. And honestly, the 2010s were kind of a rough time for Disney. Like, I was reminded of that as we were rewatching some of the films that came out in 2010. Woo, there was some really, really bad animated Disney films. Chicken Little is one of the worst films I have ever seen. Like, I, I can't stress to you how enough how bad that film is so i think i was also really Hold suffering on. writing this for the torture tessa episode it, i i can't stress to you enough how much i was probably over the disney train at that point although disney has since gotten back in the game since 2010 and so i just i didn't really i wasn't drawn to this film i didn't have nostalgia for what the film was talking about and so i think i just skipped it and it's been one of those films that's just been kind of, you know, it's not a film I've actively avoided. It was just a film that hung out in the, on the list for a really long time, which I think is true for a lot of people, that you just have these films where you're like, eh, like I'll see it someday, and then you just never end up seeing it. Zach Braff's worst animated role, Chicken Little. His best, BoJack Horseman. Pardon, <laughs> pardon my reach. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, there's got to be a better, pardon my reach. So I I really enjoyed this movie. I thought, you know, I grew up playing video games. There's big Donkey Kong energy in Fix-It Felix. You know, Wreck-It Ralph is Kong. And, you know, Felix is basically a Mario stand-in. And, you know, you can look at the game that uh, Penelope comes from. It is clearly a Candy Crush Mario Kart hybrid. It's great. It's good times. I really enjoyed this movie the first time I saw it. How did you feel about it? I ask, not knowing the answer. Also, Jane Lynch's game, I think it's called like Medal of Honor or something like that, where they're like, it's like one of those um, arcade games. I have been to arcade an arcade before, guys. I, I promise. I just didn't grow up in them. But it's one of the newer ones where you like have the, the little plastic gun and you're like shooting at like enemies on the screen and you're like trying to get to the tower or whatever. I thought that was very cleverly done. That was that was pretty awesome. But yeah, I actually really enjoyed this movie. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. Again, I don't have the nostalgia for these things, but I do recognize them. And I was surprised at how much I actually got out of this film, which I guess just goes to show how pervasive uh, these games, these types of games have been in our culture, even for people who didn't really grow up with them. Although I, I will say I probably would not have gotten this movie as much if I hadn't started playing video games in my 20s, um, because there's a lot of that type of humor in it. Uh, Sarah Silverman's character is great. John C. Riley is great. This film really wants us to start questioning simplistic arcade narratives. Like, we really, it brings attention to the idea that we as humans really, really want our narratives to be simple. We want there to be good guys and we want there to be bad guys, even in nonfiction narratives, I think, um, although this is certainly focusing more on fictional ones. And this film kind of complicates that. Like, Wreck-It Ralph is not a bad guy. He's just doing what he was programmed to do. And Sarah Silverman's character, Vanellope, she's known as a glitch so there's a lot of like disability language in here which i think is really interesting they do a pretty good job of that for the most part but yeah i i found this movie to be pretty heartwarming i found the relationship between vanellope and wreck it ralph to be really funny and engaging and i really really enjoyed it i do want to also mention that alan tudyk is in it and mindy kaling also does some of the voice work as well as Jane Lynch, who I mentioned. It's just a pretty stellar voice cast, and it's a very smart, clever little comedy. So I believe we have five more movies left. We have officially reached the point where I have seen more of them than you have. I believe we have one movie in common that we haven't seen, and what's coming up on Saturday, you have also not seen. How does it feel to be almost at the end of this project? It feels pretty good, actually, uh, because, and I know that we'll continue doing Saturday morning movies because that's just the type of person we are. We are type of person we are. We are, one, we are person. one person. You heard it here. That first. is what marriage is in many states legally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We actually, uh, we we're not on the camera with you, Andy. We just firestorm and just completely like collapse into one being. 
Oh, I've seen it. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's definitely her body, though. Yeah, it's my body and and Sam's voice. Neurosis. Yeah. Uh, it, what a terrifying combination. What a terrifying combination. <laughs> anyway. Well, at least you're <laughs> Thank you. You heard it here first, folks. That's really sad if nobody else has ever heard that before. <laughs> Okay. All right. Before we before we get on Andy's nerves anymore, I I really think that projects projects like this. Apparently, I cannot talk today. I really think that projects like this, one that we have done, where we've watched, where we are almost done watching all of the full length Disney animated feature films. I think they can be really satisfying. I think that it helped at least for me personally, it helped bring a continuity to this year to know that, you know, every morning we were checking another thing off the list. Like I said, I'd seen a lot of them before, but some of them hadn't seen from my, since my childhood, some of them were better than I remembered. Some of them were way more horrifying than I remembered. I mean, don't even get me started on Peter Pan. I don't know if I can even watch that movie again. It was so, so racist. Anyway. Big Hero 6 is coming up next. I also have never seen it. I have not seen Ralph Breaks the Internet, which is the sequel to Wreck-It Ralph. But Moana. And I have not seen Moana either. Well, but there was a weird gap. I, I think the 2010s actually kind of killed Disney for me for a while. That's not the point. The point is, it feels very satisfying to be getting to the end of this thing. And it feels like I'm about to scratch that itch, as Andy would call it get that huge thing off of my list. Like having seen all of the animated feature films is such a huge part of my list. And so, you know, it just, it feels really good. I will mention it on the podcast when we finally do finish them. It's just, you know, for someone who's team chaos, like I rarely get this feeling, but I feel like I am going to get it, get it from this particular project. All right, Andy. So it's called one cut of the dead. You watched another anime, didn't you? Didn't uh, you? Well, Tessa. <laughs> Tessa, you ignorant slut. Uh, um, This is actually a live-action Japanese movie that I watched oh. called One Cut of the Dead. So it is not an anime. Well, look at you setting me up for failure here in the notes. <laughs> yes! So... Not an anime. I, I don't want to ask this question. This makes it sound like the only the only thing that Japanese people make is anime. Um, why are you why are you insisting on making me look bad in front of the listeners? It's called the heel turn, Tessa. It's a wrestling <laughs> thing. All right. So if it's not an anime, because clearly the only culture to come out of Japan is anime, what makes this particularly Japanese? Wow, Tessa, that's very offensive what you just said and what I totally did not make you say. Um, okay, I, actually, actually, this is a very um, Japanese thing in both its, its tone and its way of handling things, and I really want to uh, stress, because uh, I think a lot of people will get turned off by the act one and a few of the filmmaking techniques that... Uh, or feel, feel the filmmaking things that happen in a uh, live-action Japanese film. So uh, one, one of these things, this is called One Cut of the Dead, and uh, you might say, okay, uh, what's that about? Uh, well, it is a, a zombie film that is done in one cut. You know, one take. So it's kind of interesting already. Here's the thing. There is a lighting thing uh people who watch k dramas uh or our soap operas w might be able to recognize this like lighting effect that happens when you're trying to do something very quickly in one take for a uh very cheaply uh this is very common in um a lot of east asian cinema or a lot of east asian lower budget cinema so so it's 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 something that's going to be a little bit of a shock as soon as you watch it. It's very hard to describe. You'll know it. It's it, it, it's it's low budget lighting, and it's only for the first twenty minutes. So I, I really, really want to stress that part. Uh, that that's kind of what makes it feel very Japanese. Anyway, uh, let's go over what this movie actually is. 
It is a movie directed by Shinichiro Ueda. Uh, it is based on a play written by Ryoichi Wada. It is a Japanese horror comedy. It is... I, 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 I will say this. It is much more heavy on the comedy than you feel like it will be when it starts. It is about a hack director who is who's making a one-cut movie zombie film and unfortunately unfortunately he may have kind of skimped out and gotten a very cheap filming location and that cheap filming location is a old world world war 2 Japanese uh, facility where maybe they did some experiments and some real zombies show up. This seems very like John Carpenter meta. Like he's making a movie that is the movie. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and and you you know maybe some real some real zombies show up. Uh, and maybe that was kind of part of his plan all along because there's these things of like, uh, there there there's some lines early on that make you feel like, wait a minute. This um, this might be his plan because it, uh, an actor's like, huh? You, you know, this this fake blood seems a lot like real blood, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Uh, hey, and he like tells like a production assistant, go outside and spread this out. Like there 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 are these weird little things, and I'm I'm really trying hard not to spoil this movie because it, it's it's wonderful. Uh, it if you like Shaun of the Dead, I think you will really enjoy this movie edgar wright said it was it was like you know one of his favorite movies of 2017 when it came out it has a 100 on rotten tomatoes like i can't express enough like give this a shot um when the zombies show up it is crazy funny and where the movie goes is even funnier anyway there are zombies in this movie so tell me the rules for the zombies, because is this more like Shaun of the Dead zombies, or is it more like Walking Dead zombies, or is it more like 28 Days Later zombies? That's part of the mystery, and I'm not telling you. This is, seriously, uh, it's very hard to describe. It's also very low budget, so you might not, um, you, you don't see as many zombies as you think you're going to see. It's not very gory. It, I would say it's less gory than Shaun of the Dead, so, you know... Just just take that all with with an understanding as, as you watch this absolutely phenomenal, hilarious movie uh, that I I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's just you are going to feel very weird with the lighting and structure of the first act of this movie. That that is really all I can say is you just kind of have to accept what's what's going on and 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 kind of force yourself to do it because there's a purpose to everything even if you're very confused. So who would you recommend this movie to? Um obviously somebody who's okay with their horror and comedy being mixed up. Yes, I I seriously, I recommend this movie to literally anyone who likes film, likes weird structured films, who wants more laughs than than horror. Like this is very far into much more comedy than it is horror, and you'll figure that out uh, quickly enough. Uh, the The director is, is, as a character, is insane, and like as as zombies are attacking, as as these people are in this facility, terrified. These actors who who can't act, or maybe they can act. Like that's that's this entire uh, layer. Um, and the real zombies are attacking and the director goes, okay, we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on filming. And they're like, why are you doing this? So help us, help us. He's like, no, 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 this is perfect. Um, it is, it, God, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's so wonderful. One cut of the dead. Give it a shot. Is this a Sarah approved movie? I did not watch this with Sarah, but I am going to make her watch it. She, she, she will love this movie um so this is this is pending sarah approval of the horror film variety right 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 it's it, it is so much more comedy than it is horror i really can't stress that the the amount of time spent on the setup is totally worth it when uh when the comedy really starts to come in
And uh, that'll be all for today. So you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelt S-W-E-H-L-A. You can find her on both Twitter and Letterboxd. For Sam, you can find Sam at Sam underscore Morris 9 and at Archie Leach 9 on Letterboxd. For me, you can find me on Twitter at Andy Noted. You can find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts about what we talked about. Anything you'd like to see us talk about in future episodes. Hey, I come on, come on. You, you, you heard us beg for ideas and suggestions, so go ahead and claim that top spot. Uh, our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes. It can be found at scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So get that monkey off your backlog. Track as part of their mood cinema experience. Yeah, is this a... Uh, so oh, no. in... Did I lose internet? I lost internet. And we just lost internet. Okay. Um, but I'll keep talking. I'm, I'm making sure I'm talking about... Yeah. Way in uh, Chunky Express, in the second part of the movie, there's a really classic example of that thing where somebody pushes play on a music device, and it's, it's diegetic. It's natural to the scene. And then the camera cuts, and the song becomes non-diegetic. Yeah, and it becomes non-diegetic. Sam and Tessa, they're the ones who lost the internet. It's about the other four. Your video is off, so I can't see you. I can't see your wonderful faces. Okay. How about now? Still off, but it, it, it'll be okay. As long as we're recording, we're good. I, I just wanted to let you know that I won't be able to pick up on any visual tics. Ah. Uh. So I can make obscene gestures at right, you. Hold on just a second. How about now? Nope. Oh, oh, I'm I'm an idiot. I am super dumb. Video was disabled by me, apparently. I ah. am sorry. Continue. Tessa, you can make all the obscene gestures you want anyway, because I know you do. <laughs> all right. I just do them under the desk normally. <laughs>